Good morning. Why is that funny? I haven't even started my jokes yet. This is a good crowd. Uh, confession time, okay. Please raise your hand if you're going to be looking for Pokemons during the sermon. Uh, over here? Okay, I don't want it to start looking like a Pentecostal service, everybody walking around and bumping into each other. Is, is there one like right here? Anyway, uh, before I start, I, I have a little preface. I, I need to take care of some, of some action here. Um, last time I was up here and, and spoke, I, uh, I talked about uh, serving and, you know, being a servant. Some of you need to say yes and some of you need to say no. Well, I got in trouble after the, after the sermon. There's a very nice young couple here, the picture, came up to me a couple weeks later and said, thanks a lot. I was like, what? They said, nobody will be our friend now. Because you said that, you know, the, the ministers are only here for a while. So, like, so, okay. After I was initially excited about the fact that people were listening to the sermon, that wasn't exactly the action item that I had anticipated that you go away with. So be their friend, okay? I mean, this young lady here, she's smart, she's funny, she's intelligent, she's kind, and the guy, Garrett, well, he's got Emily. So, so I'm just, just kidding. Be their friend. Uh, so I, I want to share with you today uh, about living vertically, and one of the things that I, we haven't quite touched on is healing. You know, Mark's talked about unanswered prayers, and he talked about last week, he talked about God's responses to our prayers. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. Uh, Yes, but wait, sometimes it's no, right? And we've talked about different areas of prayer. And one I want to share with you today, I have fallen in love with this story over the past few weeks. Uh, I, I don't know why, but for some reason it just kind of just stuck with me. And it's a very rare scripture. It's a very rare passage in because it only happens a few times, what we see happens here in our passage today. But basically, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you how to make Jesus jaw drop, how to amaze Jesus, how to shock him in a good way. And to, to look at this, I want to look at Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to read for you the passage. So, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. This one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed that moment. He shocked Jesus. He amazed him. 
Now, I want to, before I go any further, I want to mention that there is another occurrence of this passage in Luke, and uh, I'm going to spend most of my time in Matthew, but I want to read it because a lot of times people will look at this passage in Luke and say, well, this is contradiction. There are errors in Scripture. This does not match with Matthew's. Well, I want to read it to you, and, and you can judge for yourself. So this is actually from Luke, and he records. Then Jesus had, say, uh, had finished saying this to all the people who were listening. He entered Capernaum. There was a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly. He was sick and about to die. The servant heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, I don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him said, I tell you the truth, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Are these different stories? Do they contradict each other? I'm not so sure. I found two major differences that we can probably all agree that are major differences. First, in Luke, the elders of the Capernaum spoke to Jesus on behalf of the centurion. So the centurion sent people, the elders of the town, to talk to Jesus about his servant. And the second one is when Jesus was actually going to the house, the centurion sent his servants to stop him and say, no, I'm not worthy. Those are pretty much the major differences. Now, the similarities, we have Jesus, we have Capernaum, we have a centurion, we have a sick servant, we have the hope of healing, we have Jesus agreeing to heal, we have Jesus stopped short of the house, we have the centurion did not consider himself worthy, the centurion believed Jesus could heal, servants, and Jesus was amazed at the faith. Two differences, at least 10 similarities. These stories are not that different. They're just told from a different perspective. Now think about it. We can go into the exact same event that we both were at, and when we would give account for them, they could be completely different with the same outcome, right? I mean, I'm a Cardinal fan. You all know that very well. 2011 World Series series game six to me i'm going to tell it a lot different than a rangers fan is going to tell it right to me the cardinals were blessed by god in game six to the rangers the cardinals sold their soul to the devil right <laughs> same result cardinals won if you're familiar but we just tell things differently and and not only that but matthew and luke have different purposes in writing their in their letters matthew is sort of a tongue-in-cheek shot at the Jews. You know, Matthew's writing to predominantly Jewish audience to convince the readers that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's like, a Roman centurion has showed you up. What is wrong with you? Luke, on the other hand, was probably written to Gentiles, and he had a different purpose. And I think we could look at Luke and actually have a whole other sermon about the centurion's character and how he won the hearts of the people in Capernaum as a Roman soldier who was hated by the Jews. I think that's a whole other lesson. But I'm going to stay mainly in Matthew. Um, so the same stories. But I think that when we enter our prayer life, we can learn 
three things from this centurion that we can apply, and I think that we would have a more effective and strong vertical life or prayer life. Now, you're going to look at these and you're like, duh, because it was almost like Captain Obvious here. But I think that sometimes we look at them, we look at the words, and we don't quite fully get, get it. We say that we're all right, but I don't think we truly do. Number one, the centurion knew that he wasn't worthy. We probably all say that. We know we're not worthy. We know we're not worthy to come to church. We know we're not worthy of grace. We know we're not worthy of the cross. We say it. Do we live it? Looking in my life, sometimes, if you remember the story that Jesus told about the two guys that went to prayer, about one guy that, that dropped to his knees, beat his chest, and said, God, I'm not worthy to be here. Forgive me. Forgive me, a sinner. And then the opposite guy, the big religious guy, went in and says, yeah, that guy's a loser. Thank you for not making me like him. He felt entitled to be there. He felt like he deserved to be there. I'll be honest. Sometimes I enter the presence of God in prayer and think, of course he's going to, of course I deserve to be here, right? We have that sense of entitlement. But if we can reverse that, if we can truly understand when we enter God's presence that we are truly not worthy. I think that can make a ton of difference. Just look at what the centurion replied. He says, Lord, I don't even deserve to have you come under my roof. He knew he wasn't worthy. Second thing, he knew Jesus had great authority. Now, a centurion, if you may know from uh, your Roman history, was a, le- a commander of an army of 100. So basically, they separated their armies into sections of 100, hence the word century, right, 100, and the centurion was over those hundreds. So he was over them, and then somebody was over him. So he knew the chain of command very well. And he understood authority. You see, he said, my, the people under me, they come and go when I tell them to. My servants do the same. I understand authority. But he understood God's authority, Jesus' authority on earth. And the, the, the amazing thing about this is both of these accounts of Luke and Matthew, these are very early on in Jesus' ministry. There's not a lot of healings that we have recorded yet. And yet the centurion understood Jesus' authority so much to the fact that he says, just say the words, right? He says, Lord, I do not even deserve you to have uh, come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority and soldiers under me. Tell this one, go and go. He goes, come. This one comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. Throughout the Gospels, one of the underlying theme, really, of all four of them, is Jesus' authority. Think about the the miracles. Water into wine, walking on water, calming the storm, feeding the multitude, healing the sick, casting out demons, eventually raising from the dead. Think about those. Each one of those show Jesus' authority over a certain situation. Think about Matthew chapter 28. We talk about the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus has the ultimate authority, and we see that through the miracles. This Roman centurion understood that. Sometimes, I feel like when I enter my prayer time, I'm not sure I give Jesus that much authority. Sometimes I think that I pray all while praying, thinking about how I'm going to figure it out myself. 
You ever come to that? You're like, ah, just really pray for this. And all the time I'm thinking, man, how am I going to get out of this? That's lessening the authority of Jesus. But the centurion understood his authority. The third thing. The centurion, and I actually struggled with this word here. The centurion knew that Jesus could heal his servant. Now, I played around with this a little bit, and initially I was going to put the word would. The centurion knew that Jesus would heal his servant, but we all know that that's not the case, right? We all know that healing comes in different forms. Some immediate physical healing, some eventual physical healing. Some of us will not face true healing until we've been restored to God, right? We all understand that. My dad was diabetic. He, uh, he also smoked, which is a terrible combination. And he basically, every year for a few years, just they kept having to take a piece of leg away. When he died, I knew that he was whole. His healing came after death. We know that that happens. So I didn't feel comfortable putting the word would. But sometimes I think we go to pray to, pray to God, and I don't think we truly believe that he can do what we ask him to do. You ever give God an out? <laughs> I do all the time. God, would you do this if it be your will? Which, true, if it's in God's will, that's what will be done. But I kind of give an out. And then pray for healing for somebody. You ever pray this? God, be with the doctors, the nurses. That's good. God doesn't need a doctor or a nurse, right? If God wants to heal, God can heal just like that. And I think sometimes we go to the throne, we go in prayer and pray for something, not really fully thinking God can do it. But the centurion knew that he could do it. He had no doubt. And I think if we can approach God in prayer that same way, that knowing beyond a shadow of doubt, number one, we're not worthy, number two, that his authority over all things, and number three, that he can do whatever we ask, and immeasurably more, Scripture says. I think our prayer life will be much more healthy. But now I want to get to the point that's my favorite part of this story. Jesus was amazed at this man's faith. There's only two times that Scripture records that Jesus was amazed. He was amazed here by the faith of the centurion, and he was also amazed by the lack of faith from his hometown where he grew up, his own people, the Jews, had a lack of faith. Let's read Mark chapter 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that he's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? It says they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith from his own people. Now, I want to caution you very very strongly, I 
do not ever, ever condone or say that God cannot do something. Mark says that Jesus could not do miracles. I think that's a poor translation. Jesus could do anything that he wanted to, right? God can heal and do whatever he wants to do because he's God. We cannot put limits on God. I think more importantly what Mark is saying is that Jesus wouldn't do them. It's almost like he threw his hands up. He's like, these are my own people. A Roman centurion believes in me more than my own people. I want to amaze and shock Jesus, but I want to do it because of my faith and not my lack of faith. But that leads me to the question, is Jesus just dying for us to ask? Is he just waiting to be unleashed? We talk about Jesus being the lion. We sing songs like, Hail, Hail, Lion of Judah. We watch Chronicles of Narnia, and we know that Aslan, the lion, is representative of Jesus. We talk about the lion. Sometimes I think we approach the lion, though, and we try to cage him. We try to limit him. Now, make no mistake, this caged lion, he can do anything he wants. If he wants out of the cage, he can let himself out. But I think sometimes he may choose to let himself stay in the cage because of our lack of faith. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to stay in here. You don't really want me out here anyway. Two, two things I love about the Matthew account of the centurion. You see what Jesus' response was? He's, the centurion, when he comes to Jesus, he says, uh, my servant's sick. We see that the Jesus says, shall I go heal him? It's almost like, you want, me to, you want me to come? You want me to come heal him? It's almost like he's waiting for the centurion to ask him. Funny enough, if you look right above the centurion's story here, we have a leper who comes to Jesus and says, well, if you want to make me well, you can. If you want to heal me, you can. And Jesus is like, yeah, I want to. I want to. Because you believe I can centurion knew that he wasn't worthy, knew Jesus' authority, and knew that he could, beyond a shadow of a doubt, heal him. It all boils down to faith. Now, I think faith is one of those words that we, I wouldn't say it's necessarily misused. I think it's one of those in our Christian vernacular that we kind of abuse a little bit, right? We talk about my personal faith. We talk about my faith, my faith, my faith. Well, faith has action involved, right? Faith requires you to act on faith. And uh, sometimes I feel like, oh, Inigo Montoya here, you know, it's like you keep using that word. Uh, I don't think it means what you think it means, right? Uh, faith. What does it mean? Well, to get a definition, we have to turn to Scripture. Probably know where I'm going with this. Hebrews chapter 1, or 11, sorry, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance of what we do not see. Now, that's the new NIV if you're using your phone or tablet or uh, something, or if you have the new NIV translation. This is the new NIV, the new New International Version. It's kind of redundant. I'm old school. I like the old interna New International Version. <laughs> and I, growing up in a Christian school, uh, we memorized a lot of Scripture, and so I always memorized uh, Hebrews chapter 11 like this. 
Uh, here's the old school version. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Uh, faith, get it? It's two parts. Faith is what we hope for, and faith is what we do not see. What we hope for and what we do not see. But there's more to it, right? It's not just that. It's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, the differences between sure and certain, they're, you know, they're different. Certainty is 100% certainty, just like the centurion knew. I know Jesus can do this. Certainty, 100% assurance. Now, sure, you know, it has a little bit more, a little bit more looseness to it. It's not quite as strong. And actually, in the Greek there, it could be could actually be translated like source or foundation. You know, it's, it's I think hope is a, is a good, or sure is a good translation, but uh, they're different. So what faith is saying, the Hebrew writer is saying, faith is what, be sure of what we hope for. What do we hope the outcome of this prayer is going to be? You need to be sure about it. Sometimes I pray and I'm not sure, <laughs> right? I'm not, I think, maybe. It reminds me of the, one, of the, one of the healings of Jesus. Remember the pool? Uh, Bethsaida, I believe it's called? Right, no, I don't remember. But the pool, right? Jesus comes to him, and all these people are waiting to dive into the pool to be healed. And Jesus comes up to one of them, and he says, do you want to be healed? Like, are you sure? Sometimes I think we're not sure when we pray. We need to be sure of what we hope is going to happen. So we need to ask ourselves, am I sure? Now, one of the things that is, I don't know if, I, don't know if, oh, I think he's over with Rob, I'm safe. You've probably heard this before. My children usually, actually only one of my children usually say this, uh, but I've said it many times to my parents, and I've probably said it to Amy, and she's probably said it to me too. You've probably all heard it before, right? You're probably going to say no, but, right, parents, Husbands, wives, what's the answer? Immediately. You're right. No. Wait, I'm going to stop you there. I don't even care what you're going to ask me. The answer is no. Why? Because you don't have faith in me that I'm going to say yes. So why would I say yes? Man, sometimes I pray to God that same way. Sometimes... Uh, in Sunday school or even small groups or, you know, sometimes when you're in a group setting, you, you ask for prayer requests, right? And you usually end up with a long list of people that need healing or people traveling or, or whatnot. And uh, I'm going to be honest, those are hard prayers for me because sometimes I'm, I'm mentally, I'm probably the only one, sometimes I'm mentally doing a, a pick and choose. Okay, who do I pray for healing for? Because I, I don't think God's going to heal everybody that I pray for healing for. So which ones? Which ones do I pray, uh, be with this person, give them strength? Which ones do I pray for healing? Which ones do I pray for the doctors? Which ones do I pray? God can heal any disease, any sickness, as many people as he wants to. It's God. He doesn't need nurses. He doesn't need doctors. He doesn't need medicine. He can do whatever he wants. But me, by praying that, is simply... Similarly saying, you're probably going to say no, but I'm going to ask anyway. 
we can't go into prayer, God, like that. Because we will get the same response that we give our kids, our husband, our wives. We also need to ask ourselves, am I certain? Now, being the first part, being sure of what you hope for. I mean, we hope, probably some of you have prayed when the lottery is up over 500 million. So probably some of you are praying for the right numbers, right? You're sure that you hope that you win the lottery. But then there's another part of that, right? The certainty. When we pray to God, we need to be sure of what we hope for. There are two things that I am really not fans of. Like, a fan of. I'm only one per- Never mind. There's two things I'm really not a fan of. Airplanes. Roller coasters. It's not necessarily that I'm scared of them. It's this, when I get on either one of them, I am not one, I am sure that I hope that I'm going to step foot off of them. I know that part. I know that I sure hope I'm going to make it out alive. But I do not get on either one of those things with that 100% certainty that I'm going to. I don't have 100% faith in that airplane that it's going to get me from point A to point B. B, not being a splat on the ground. I just don't. Roller coasters the same way. I, I grab, when I'm on roller coasters, I probably, I hold that bar so tight. I mean, it was like, if, if this thing's going, it's not taking me because I'm holding on to it. I just do not believe that with 100% certainty, I'm going to get off alive. I'm sure that each one of you have those same things. But when we pray, we have to be 100% certain that God is truly there and that he's truly capable of making it happen. We need to be sure of what we hope is going to happen, but we need to be certain that God is present and capable. Why? Because he is. He's proven time in and time out. That he is more than capable. He created the entire world. The universe. How dare we put limits on him? How dare we think something is too big? God can do it all. And we have to be certain of that when we pray. I'm going to transition into communion time right now. Because I think... The story that amazes me, and I want to enter my prayer life, and I want to shock Jesus. I want to amaze him. I want to make his jaw drop. He's like, did you just hear that guy? Wow, what faith. The centurion did, and the centurion knew nothing about a cross, an empty tomb. We have the luxury of seeing a risen Savior that the centurion did not have the luxury of at the time that he asked him to heal his servant. And yet the centurion knew that he could. We have that evidence that there is nothing that our God cannot do. So as we enter this time of prayer, it's communion. They're going to come out and they're going to have a special song. I just want you to listen to the song. Then we'll take communion. Um, and then I'll pray. Let's pray. God, we 
thank you for being you. Thank you for being everything that we are not. Strong, mighty, loving. Sometimes we come to you and we don't fully grasp all of those things. Sometimes we come to you like we deserve something. Or maybe that you're not big enough to do what we're asking. But God, you have proven time in, time out, that you are capable. God, help us as we learn to live vertically, to put away all of those hindrances. I just pray that we can shock you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.